Hello and welcome to this week's episode of 321Go Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Scanlon. I'm so excited to bring you today's episode because it is a slight deviation from the things that we would normally focus on on this show. Uh, Our guest is Phil White. Phil White has co-authored many, many books, uh, two of which that are probably on your bookshelf. Uh, If they're not, they should be on your bookshelf. Uh, That is Unplugged. That's a book that he wrote with uh, Brian McKenzie and Dr. Andy Galpin. Uh, In addition to that, Game Changer, uh, which is the art of sports science. He wrote that with Dr. Fergus Connolly. Highly recommend you pick up both of these books. But, uh, you know, the thing I'm kind of most excited about this interview with Phil is that Phil gives a ton of actionable coaching ideas for you, Um, not only for yourself and your own training, which as a gym owner, I'm completely guilty of this myself. I, you know, I'll get my head down, I'll get to working on something. And next thing you know, I'll realize I've been staring at a computer monitor for two hours. And so Phil gives some really cool, actionable things that you can use to not only improve your own fitness, but uh, things that you can turn around and give to your coaches and your athletes. In addition to that, uh, while we don't talk about it too explicitly, if you pay attention to the content in today's episode, what it will do is it will give you a clear idea of the strategic advantage that you provide in your gym compared to other gyms. Here's an example. We oftentimes hear that, uh, you know, there's a fear of gym owners. Let's say that like an orange theory, for example, opens up across your street. That may cause you to feel a little bit uncomfortable, right? And some of the things that Phil talks about, even though he's outlining the principles in this book, Unplugged, what he does is he gives us a framework to understand the value of the coaching that we provide. He also gives us a lot of language and a ton of statistical evidence in the book that sort of supports our methodology over more tech-based technology and this juggernaut that seems to be wearable tech. So while I think we can use wearable technology as a tool On the other hand, the coach-athlete relationship has a much greater indicator for success than things like heart rate variance or even just understanding your heart rate from within a workout. So if you pay attention, Phil gives you a ton of language for you to use in your marketing campaigns, for example. Uh, When you develop brand awareness, there's a lot of good meaty chunks of information in here. Um, But overall, Phil is a really cool dude and provides a bunch of awesome information for the strength and and conditioning coach. So listen to it for that alone because it is an awesome, fun interview. Uh, Pick up Phil's books. I will link to them in the show notes. Uh, If you forget, philwhitebooks.com. Pretty straightforward. And you can pick up his books there as well as on Amazon. A huge thank you to Phil for taking the time to do this show. 
I could have interviewed him for another three hours after this was over. He's just that engaging of a person uh, to talk to. So you'll really dig his books as well. Speaking of actionable metrics and appropriate use of technology, one of the things that we talk about and one of the things that is outlined in Unplugged is the ability to measure body fat and lean tissue. This is an example of a data point that is super important and is a greater indicator of health for people. So if you're interested in providing this as a data point, if you are kind of ready to take that next step in your gym and begin providing some technology, I would highly recommend that a good first piece of tech would be the in-body body composition scanner. Um, I have one in my gym. I'll just go ahead and give you guys a story. <clears throat> I do a lot of these presentations in different companies. I'll go and do, I'll do these lunch and learns and talk about you know habit change and behavior change and working out nutrition and things like that. And, and the response that I get is, fairly lackluster. You know, people don't like to sit there and and hear about change. It elicits kind of feelings of shame and things like that. But I decided that I would start, uh, you know, packing up my in-body and taking it with me to all of these things. And I found that when I do a body composition scan just for free, I'll do them for free for an entire company, I usually get about three times the attendance for these types of things. And then the follow-ups that I get after the fact are uh, just leaps and bounds above what I would get after just a normal talking presentation or even going there and demonstrating an air squat and things like that. So I know a lot of gym owners that have the in-body will echo this same sentiment, but it is an amazing tool to kind of get your foot in the door as far as corporate wellness goes. People love you know, getting that printout, that piece of paper, they want to talk to you about it. It's a great way to get intros uh, for people in your gym. So if you're ready to do that, there is a link. InBody has a special deal for our listeners only. Uh, so hit up that link in the show notes if you're interested in that. Enjoy today's episode with Phil White. Please take a moment to subscribe to 321 Go Podcast. And please, 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 if you enjoy the show, if you love receiving this free, valuable information each week, you keep coming back, just throw us a quick review. Take five seconds and, and throw us a review right there on iTunes or whatever platform you're listening to this on. I would greatly appreciate it. Again, another big thank you to Phil. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week. All right, guys. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of 321 Go Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Scanlon. We're joined by Phil White calling in from Evergreen, Colorado, beautiful area. Phil, welcome to the show. Hello, good sir. Glad to be here. Thanks so much for having me on. So, Phil, I love talking with people when we're trying to like do the little pre-interview setup and housekeeping, all that kind of stuff. And I just can tell that you are the type of guy that I could just sit here and we could just go. I feel like this is something that we could go for hours on. So I am, I am super excited to get rolling and dig deep on some of these things. Uh, listeners who don't know, uh, Phil is a writer, a co-author of uh, an upcoming book. It's, it's yet to come out, Waterman 2.0. Is that? 
Yeah, with Correct. Kelly Starrett. Yeah, absolutely. Excellent. Should yeah. be out this spring. Nice. Be out this spring. <laughs> nice. G- game changer with uh, Fergus Conley, which we'll be talking about a little bit today. And Unplugged is probably the book that a lot of our audience has heard of with uh, Dr. Andy Galpin, uh, Brian McKenzie, and, and Phil White. So, Phil, I want to start off this way because we – obviously, we're, we're talking about coaching. We're talking about – uh, technology and fitness and things like that. But before we started recording, Phil, you mentioned to me uh, about some writing you did on Winston Churchill. Now, this is quite some range, so I, I want to know, like, where where did this story begin? Are you are you a writer by trade or coach by trade? Uh, where does your story start? Sure. So I um, I had this mad idea in um, secondary school, the equivalent of high school in England, that. I wanted to play college basketball in the US. And so I played for a team in the grittiest part of Bristol in England. And Bristol is known as like, it's one of the music capitals of the US, kind of like Austin, mm-hmm. in that the, the like Portis Head came out of Bristol. Um, the entire drum and bass scene with Ronnie Size and all those guys came out of Bristol. And so I. Yeah, started playing for a local team, and then a a mate's daddy was a coach, uh, introduced me to a coach in Bristol, and so I used to travel three times a week. Like, it was three hours each way to practice in games because you had to change trains and do all this stuff, and um, my mate Anthony, from uh, who's actually from Jamaica, had to come and walk and meet me, uh, walk from his house and meet me at the train station and walk me through, because, I mean, it, it... you know, people think of England as being all nice and Downton Abbey, but there are some sketchy parts. And th- this is uh, an area of Bristol called St. Paul's, and this is one of them. And so um, while I sat on the bench for this team, because they were super athletic and run and gun, um, I learned a lot and um, progressed a bit as a player. And so, yeah, I got recruited by a few few schools in the Midwest and uh, none other than Mid-American Nazarene University, which is not too far from you, and Olathe, Kansas, was the one I ended up at and played basketball and uh, my kind of uh, uh, footy, uh, football, which is not football at all. It's soccer. And uh, so, yeah, came over in August 2001 and um, did the Midwest thing, actually, and uh, got married at the end of my sophomore year, as one does. And uh, we're still married today. Um, Heaven knows why she hasn't kicked me out. So anyway, so I was an English major and... um, my best mate from England was a magazine editor in New York. And so this is probably a couple of years after college. So like 2006, 2007, I got a phone call from this, this mate of mine, Luke. And um, he said, mate, you know that, that book I'm writing? And I said, yes. And he said, well, I meant to have 80,000 words in about three months from now. And I have 800 words. And actually what had happened is, is his dad had stomach cancer. And so he was going back and forth between his um, new home in New York and back to London to, to see his dad. And so, you know, he said, basically, can you write it for me? And so this book, of all things, is um, is called On the Record. And it is um, it was done in collaboration with a, the Scratch DJ Academy, which Jam Master Jay from Rum DMC founded before he passed away. And. So it's really just the history and culture of DJing and then a bit of a how-to. And so Moby, um, obviously multiple platinum uh, recording artist uh, and DJ, did the forward. And, um, yeah, we interviewed everyone from some of the old masters in hip-hop, like Grandmaster Flash, you know, who told me about how his – 
his dad was so mean and also serious about his record collection that if he thought the kids had been messing with it, you know, with his records when he was out, he would literally, this is terrible to say, but he would hold their hands over the radiator and still they, until they started to burn because of punishment. Like, what in the heck? But yeah, so guys like that, and then on the electronic music scene, guys like BT and Paul Oakenfold and Pete Tong and, and really like the biggest names. And we grew up in this kind of festival and club scene in the UK. So without the ecstasy, we never did any of any of the drug stuff. But yeah, so that was that was my first book. And then, I mean, where to go logically, Matt, from there, but to Winston Churchill from DJing, you know, from Grandmaster Flash and Moby to this. So, yeah, I've always, always kind of uh, geeked out on World War II history. And uh, there's this little town called Fulton, Missouri, uh, where Winston Churchill came to give what he said was his most important speech ever. And he gave a few. And it's called the Iron Curtain speech. And it was really just telling the truth about Russia and communism. And so I went down there with another mate and uh, a couple of his kids to this little museum they have down there. And afterwards, he said, you know, no one's really uh, written this story from the point of view of this college president and how they brought the most famous guy in the world, obviously coming off the back of winning World War Two, to this little town. Like, how the heck did they do it? And, uh, you know, what was the what was the story from their side? You should write that. And so I did. And so somehow I managed to find an agent that would represent a guy that only this is very insular world. You know, most people have PhDs in history or an honorary chair at Yale or Oxford, you know, monocle and smoking jacket and slippers. And so it's very insular and hard to break in. And here's this like 25 year old guy that just wrote a book about DJ and wanting to write a book. But I did it and uh, had a great agent. Rob in in New York and uh, yeah actually our publisher is the same as Jocko Willink's publisher currently St. Martin's Press which is kind of an interesting coincidence and so um, yeah we did that and then I wrote another one about Harry Harry Truman um, called Whistle Stop which is about how he managed to survive a double split in his party and a Republican dream ticket and win the 1948 election and then on this other track because I was a two-sport college athlete, always been into sports, um, I started writing for Sup the Mag, which is the stand-up paddleboarding sister publication of Canoe and Kayak and Surfer Magazine. And I had jacked up my back deadlifting, and I had tried to find like a non-pharmaceutical way to deal with the nerve pain I was having. And just online, I stumbled across Dr. Kelly Starrett's work back before the nice... 4k high-res video you see today it was a flip phone when he was in what he calls the parking lot of dreams and you know san francisco crossfit was like number 10 or 11 in crossfit gyms worldwide so kelly and brian mckenzie and those guys have been in this thing since like the shootout you know the wild west days with greg glassman all these guys and so i interviewed kelly a couple of times and um out of that came a you know, he's starting to think about this book with TJ Murphy called Ready to Run. And we should, he, no one really knows that Kelly has a background as a river rat, right? Like he was a rafting guide. He was on the national team for whitewater slalom canoeing back in the day. And uh, so one, he wanted to kind of write this love letter to paddling. He he and Julia actually, his wife actually met at the, the, the world championships, I, I believe down in Chile back in 2001. And so, uh, it's partly just his backstory and how he came to do what he does, um, fixing himself and then having a passion to fix other people. And then also just say, hey, if you're going to paddle, 
if you're going to surf, basically do anything on the water. These are some basic human positions you should be able to get into. And it kind of like his archetypes. And if you can't, here's some stuff to help you. And then he introduced me to basically everyone in his circle from um, Chris Frankel, who's performance director at TRX, to Brian McKenzie. And so Brian and I got connected, again, did a couple of magazine pieces. And again, the same happened, started talking books. And uh, he and Andy Galpin have been having some pretty hardcore discussions around fitness uh, technology. And Andy is a muscle physiologist at Cal State Fullerton. And so we have the scientist on one end, but parentheses, he also trains MMA fighters and wrestlers and boxers in his off time. And uh, then Brian, who obviously was CrossFit endurance for a long time, now power speed endurance, um, the art of breath with uh, with Rob Wilson, who who some of your re- uh, listeners may, may know. And um, so, yeah, really just this amazing um, collaboration between two of the brightest minds in the industry. And in the middle, you have a guy who can't do many things well, but I, I I try to serve these guys by getting the ideas out of their head and onto the page, really. Phil, one thing that I have grown to really enjoy about writers is everybody that I've interviewed and I talk to them about the process of sitting down and doing this thing, it feels and sounds a lot more like training than it does this like artistic expression Meaning, uh, everybody that I've talked to that has has written a book or books, and I say, hey, you know, what does your inspiration look like? Or when do you feel like writing? They're like, no, I just wake up. It's a job. You know, I wake up and I hammer out pages. I hammer out words, and I have a goal for doing that, which has been really interesting to me because I'm like, oh, that just looks like what strength training looks like. Or that looks like preparing for a season. Have you found that to be the case as you've sort of progressed along in these books? To me, it, it's more joyous than that. Mm-hmm. Like, I freaking love doing this. I love every kind of writing. You know, I, I do some writing for a tech company that's in healthcare IT. I do some writing for, as I mentioned, for TRX. I do some magazine writing, and I do these books. And um, while I like the books the best, I really like all of it. And And to me, it's almost like this... If I had to systematize it, it would be called like the the three C's model, where really my curiosity to learn more about a lot of different things drives conversations. And then out of these conversations comes copy, copywriting. And um, yeah, really to me, it it just, um, there is the element. Now, I, I think while it is joyful and I do really, I mean, I feel like my eight year old when he's building with Lego and he's in a perfectly anatomically correct deep squat for like four hours, you know, and you go down there mid afternoon to check on him and he's still like ramrod straight and he's still just kind of shuffling to one side to grab this. And I'm like, man, I wish that I had that kind of hip mobility, but silliness aside, you know, he's just in the zone, you know, he's in what Stephen Kotler calls a flow state. And so for me, Partly it's the joy element of it is is what I feel like I meant to do. But then also um, I've cr- I create environmental conditions to slam me into a flow state. So example, when I ha- when I did that uh, that book on the record, the DJing book, I was working a full time job. And my son, who is now he'll be 11 in February, was like one, one and a half. And so 
it required some sacrifice on our part. You know, it was every night and weekend. Um, and I was conducting interviews at a full-time job in this tiny little cubicle of a conference room that would fit like two and a half hobbits in it or something. And, um, and, and I, and I drank enough coffee to kill a small horse. But then over the years, I've got caffeine down to more of a, uh, minimum effective dose and I know when to time it. And I've also learned when I'm most productive and, my mate Brad Stolberg wrote a great book with uh, Steve Magnus, the running coach, um, called Peak Performance. And if if you have an interview, Brad or Steve, you really should because that they're, they're awesome guys and really knowledgeable. And so yeah, that that book is one of my favorites in the last few years. And they talk about knowing thyself in terms of not just when your peaks are, but also when your valleys are. So you caught me at a, kind of a bad time. Um, not that I'm complaining because I'll talk to you anytime you want, but in the morning when I'm freaking useless, frankly, you know, I, I do some interviews, um, either like this or more likely me conducting them. And then I do some billing. I do some shorter writing pieces, but once the afternoon comes around, I'm on that second coffee cycle. I walk 30 minutes, um, along Evergreen Lake, which you probably know where that is because you lived in Colorado. And, um, yeah, it's basically the furthest coffee shop, the little coffee shop, the Everbean that's over there. And, uh, so yeah, that guarantees an hour of walking a day. And there's something about that walk. Um, Andy Galpin recently posted a picture of a, of a brain after 20 minutes of seated meditation. And it's lit up a little bit, you know, green and yellow in a few areas. And then a brain after a 20 minute walk and a tech free walk. And it's, you know, most of it is lit up and it's more of the oranges and reds, which means it's really firing. And this came out of a uh, neuroscientist, I believe he's in uh, one of the eyes, Illinois or Indiana. And so, yeah, I mean, really, that just gets me going. And so it's creating conditions. You know, I have the same noise canceling headphones I have in now and I, I can't listen to uh, to lyrics because it's, you know, trying to create words. It's words on the other side. And so. Um, some of the DJs I mentioned, Max Graham up in Canada, BT, uh, Andrew Bayer, there's a few of their playlists that I just listen to on repeat over and over again. And um, yeah, so I've just created these conditions that allow me to write more. But the, to your point, what it is, is in not that I'm a master, but it is the pursuit of mastery. So no different than if someone is training every day, kind of like Pavel says with kettlebell training, like in Simple and Sinister, if you just did get-ups and swings every day. No, that's the pursuit of mastery. And it's also strength-wise going to allow you when your mate calls you to say, hey, buddy, can you come help me lift? You know, or you, when you have grandkids that you're able to get down in that deep squat with your, your grandkids, like my eight-year-old, and um, play Lego with them on the floor, do, do what you need to do in everyday life. And so there is that pursuit of mastery. And there are days where I think, oh, it'd be nice to get, you know, X number of thousand words. But um, yeah, really, it just... To me, I I feel compelled to do it. Like it isn't a, it's never a grind of like, oh crap, I don't want to get up and write today. Oh, it's you know drudgery. Um, it's it, it's I just feel like it's a gift, and I have to use it to to benefit as many people as I can because of that's the the mindset of all my co-authors is they're trying to not just improve people's performance or recovery, but give them better quality of life. And so just acting as the I'm not the guy that does that, but I'm just the channel. I'm just the conduit for that. And so it's partly just a, a core motivation thing. And then I just freaking love to write, really. Mm -hmm. 
Phil, I promise we're going to get into training and some of the content of these books here in a minute, but there, there's some nuggets in there that I think will serve our audience really well. You've got some time, right? So you're this young buck coming out of uh, Mid-American Nazarene, and you begin this first project of, uh, you know, writing about these DJs, you know? And, and so that was kind of like you had all this energy, and that's kind of what you've known. We have people in our listening audience that, that maybe have found themselves as entrepreneurs and business owners and sort of needing to self-motivate or jumpstart themselves that maybe feel overwhelmed by, you know, they have the desire, I want to pursue mastery in my business or I want to create some systems in my business. I want to create a, an employee handbook and, and these types of things that they have a genuine desire to create. But they may feel a little bit paralyzed by, you know, the blank page, so to speak. Like, hey, nobody's telling me what to do today. Like, I've got no, you know, I've got no publisher breathing down my neck or I've got no manager telling me what to do. So you've get, you gave us some suggestions on, you know, hey, take this walk, you know, grab that afternoon coffee, whatever the case may be. Um, what did that learning process look like? How did you sort of develop into having this routine today over the course of the last several years? Yeah. I mean, partly is we're very blessed living in Colorado. So we lived in a suburb of Kansas City, where, where in America, the colleges I went in are later. And while there are some really great things, I don't want to bash Kansas City because I love it. Um, and we go back several times a year. There, it's not walkable at all, okay? And so the Starbucks was like a 12-minute drive away for us. Um, and we were like the exurb end of the Lather, you know, out past Garmin, yep. you know where that oh, is? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. And, yeah, <laughs> and so, yeah, and, and a little bit further out the sides. And so that walkability was never really accessible to me because walking to a coffee shop would have meant crossing two main roads and... Um, you know, playing like George Costanza, the old Frogger episode of Seinfeld, you know, just trying to not get splattered. But um, it wasn't walkable. And then when we moved to, to Evergreen, um, it's a small town, which is what I grew up with. I mean, growing up in high school, if we if my mate, the the guy Luke, I meant Luke Kreisel, who I wrote on the record with, if we missed the bus, that was a four and a half mile walk through winding country lanes to school. And if we were lucky, someone might pick us up and, and take us but more often than not we just walked and we're both chronically late and I'm probably worse than he is and so we walked a lot you know and so just grew up used to walking and so for me to get back to that small town of where you get to develop more intimate relationships with new friends and um, we're staggering distance to to Revival Brews which is our good uh, local pub and yeah walkable um pretty much everywhere. So I can get, my wife does a school run and so I can get to Thursday and have not driven at all, which is, um, I realize not everyone has that option, but for me, there's something really about it where Stephen Kotler in, in Unplugged, he, he talks about how a mate of his said, you know, Stephen, you seem to spend a long time, a lot of time outside. Can you figure out exactly how much? And he figured out that he's outside a third of every year. And so his friend then said, well, how the heck you write a book every 18 months, you're running, you know, the flow genome project and, and, and he has this dog like rescue sanctuary. Um, you know, you have the, these relationships with family and friends that seem really strong. You like, you know, how the heck do you even get anything done? And he said, 
The fact that I'm outside a third of the year is how I get it done. So yes, it looks like it's taking up time, but it does something mentally that, um, you know, and I mean, he's way more up on the neuroscience than I am that, that creates these conditions. And then I think also you, you begin to, outside the outdoor piece, you begin to create your own efficiencies. So example, um, I use Evernote um, to, to the Evernote web clipper, which looks like a little elephant. It's just a Chrome, Google Chrome plugin sits there at the top of your Chrome thing. So when I'm doing online research, I'll say, Brian, I'll say, oh yeah, for, for that question you asked, just go and look at last Wednesday and Thursday's Facebook posts. Well, I, I go go and on Facebook and I grab them and I just hit click and I have folders within Evernote, you know, and so I'll write, you know, Unplugged, um, Brian McKenzie, and then whatever, you know, bre- breath work, whatever the topic is, bang, save, and it's there for posterity. Um, and then with my notebooks, I've, um, in the desire to go more analog for all my interviews now, I record them by audio and when I can afford it, get them transcribed by rev.com. And these little notebooks, I find I've cut out like two hours of screen time a day just by handwriting stuff out. My handwriting is terrible, but that's kind of good from a security standpoint, because if anyone ever stole them, they wouldn't mean anything. So it'd be good. So yeah, just doing that. And then again, though, to make them full, full text searchable, I have the Evernote app on my iPhone and I scan them in, uh, he says, with two and a half notebooks not scanned in. So if my kids got hold of them, they, they would draw all over them, like the other side of the pages and it would be lost. But yeah, just so little things like that to just um, either improve efficiency or in this case, I realized I was way, you know, particularly when I'm in a book writing phase, which is always, I, I'm in front of the screen too much. So yeah, what can I do? So in this case, using just good old paper and pen. And um, then also my wife is like the world's best copy editor. And so having her in house, um, both developmentally to say chapter four is crap and you need to to redo it or let's switch chapters two and seven and here's why. And then at the end, just to red line the crap out of it and destroy whatever's left of my ego under her boot. Um, <laughs> if you can take that kind of criticism from the person closest to you, you've been married to for almost 15 years, you can take it from anybody, any editor in the world. And so, yeah, just realizing that, you know, we don't just do this on books anymore, but, um, on some of the tech writing I do and the magazine pieces and the blogging for TRX and et cetera, et cetera. Just, she's like my secret weapon, um, in terms of making any of this writing vaguely coherent, but you know, you just learn that along the way. And so, um, yeah, I like it. you just, just figure things out. But, um, yeah, there are definitely, I, I think it, when you're talking about a blank page, you have to begin, you just have to get started, even if it's crap. And here's the key. Write a guilt-free first draft. Like, say you're you're a, a CrossFit box owner, and you're working on the website, and you can't afford to pay anyone to do it. And so you're doing like the about paragraphs for you and your coaches, and everyone loves writing about themselves in the third person, you know. Um, and so we'll say you know you, you and three mates own the gym. Okay, we'll start with theirs because it's less uncomfortable than writing about yourself. But just once you've got the basic info from them. Just get it going and just say, I'm not leaving this computer until I do at least two of them and just get started, you know, about John Smith, you know, blah, 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 John, blah, 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 blah. Try to make it fun. Have some fun with it. Because if it's your own business, why be boring? Mm. Particularly if you're doing like a back paragraphs or about your gym. It's not dull. You're not selling. I don't know. Pick something boring. Um, 
vacuum cleaners or right. something like you're doing something fun you're fun guys make your personality shine through but yeah the key is get started just begin and then secondarily write a guilt-free first draft so don't write like a sentence and then think oh that's grammatically incorrect or no that doesn't seem quite right no no no, no. so say you're writing a one paragraph bio about your your co gym co-owner you write the whole bloody thing then edit it and then give it to him to edit and because you can't edit until there's something to edit so a guilt-free first draft and get started write something create something i love it get that's that's exactly it i think a lot of people entrepreneurs especially let perfection get in the way of progress and uh it's a great takeaway phil let, I, let's move on because I, I want to dig into some of these things in unplugged i think it could be really valuable to us um so the the gist of Unplugged, listeners, uh, first off, get the book. Uh, we'll link to it. Phil, would you prefer I link to like the Amazon link? Is that what we're Yeah, okay. that'd be great. Perfect. Um, the gist of this book is, is um, technology in coaching and athletic pursuits is a tool. It is not the end-all, be-all. Uh, this, for our listening audience, I would consider the vast majority of you in the listeners take this in the spirit in which it's intended uh in the old school camp like you guys are into relationships you're into watching your athletes squat 10,000 times you're into the way they move you're into uh immediate feedback you're into letting your athletes see what you eat for lunch every day after you coach instead of getting obsessive about my fitness pal app that's where a lot of you guys are but you're up against this message that more tech equals better and so we're constantly fighting this battle and i don't believe that as affiliate owners or the owners of a, a yoga studio or any other gym listening to this right now that's not an excuse for you not to tell your story and you have to tell a very compelling story because you have uh, companies with, with much larger marketing budgets than you uh, trying to tell your athletes that their wearable technology is what they need to become more fit. Phil, let's start there with wearable technology. Uh, sales have gone up dramatically, uh, yet there seems to be no correlation with increased health as a result. So what gives? Yeah, it's interesting it, um, with regard to adherence with these devices that 50% of people say that they stop using them within six months. And I think we need to start looking at why that is. And Brad Stolberg outside um, did a great piece on why human accountability. So say, say you're using this device to keep you accountable, right? Like to you working out, isn't that fun? It's a grind. You don't really like to train. Well, say somebody has been sedentary and doesn't really know where to start. So they're starting with the bare minimum, the 10,000 steps, whatever it is. The device is keeping them accountable. But this is, um, we, we featured Dr. Lenny Wiersma in the book, and Lenny has worked with USA Swimming, so, and you know, obviously all the, the great swimmers in that group. Um, he's what, he works with uh, some of the, the great college swimming dynasties in California. You know, he's won umpteen NCAA titles, and, and the athletes in sports around the world. And he said the problem here is twofold, that it's an extrinsic motivator, right? Which means it's not coming from inside you versus intrinsic, which is obviously self-motivation. But then also it's um, it, it lacks that human element. And so Brad 
Brad did a great job in this piece for outside that you should look up about accountability of why it would be better to have a training buddy or your, your spouse, your partner, um, you, you know, train with you or say, you know, you used to play tennis back in high school like I did a little bit. And I'm terrible, really. My server is awful, particularly. But but say, you know, you meet a buddy, um, a new friend or an old teammate maybe is moving back into town and just say maybe it's not even a question of getting in the gym just a couple of times a week you agree at noon on your lunch hour he's going to swing by your office and pick you up and you're going to go and play tennis for an hour and and we what we found is that adherence to that kind of accountability where it's relationship based is much greater and the results are much greater than it really abdicating your decision making to to this device on your wrist and you know these things are all if you look at the ads for some of the latest wearables they're all talking about personalized coaching and really the message there to me is flawed in that it's saying that this algorithm that some frankly dork in a silicon valley basement came up with um is based on an arbitrary data set that we don't know. We don't understand what that what that might be. And it's creating this one-size-fits-all prescription based on the data. But the problem with data is that there it can be useful if there is context. And so in Game Changer with um, Fergus Connolly, who's Jim Harbaugh's uh, director of performance at Michigan Football and has worked across pretty much every major field and court sport in the world at the, the national team, college, or pro level, what he talks about is quantitative analysis is only useful if you're also doing qualitative analysis. And really what we're talking about here is context. And so a coach will know, like as, as you as a coach get to know some of your athletes, you might know that Jeff is going through a divorce right now. And that is contributing to the fact that his HRV most days is in the toilet. Whereas Jeff, if he was looking at it by himself, might think, you know, it's like a go or no go sometimes with these devices. Oh, my HRV is in the toilet today. I can't train because I'm not recovered enough. Well, HRV is one measurement of readiness and recovery. It is not the be all and end all. And as Andy Galpin has said, um, it, it's one measurement of one factor of a very complex system, which is the autonomic nervous system. Well, guess what? There's also the central nervous system. There are multiple branches just of the nervous system, and each one potentially has hundreds, if not thousands, of potential data points. And all of these data points interact with those in other systems, the digestive system, the endocrine system, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you look at these, um, it's almost like playing the lottery. You know, there are just trillions of possible combinations in the end. And if you're only looking at one number, out of this and you're trying to make that everything which back in the day you know in the uk um it was for rugby it was gps always oh, coaches you've got to have gps and, and even i remember watching um premier league soccer or uefa champions league and they would say oh you know so and so is the hardest working player on the field tonight look at him he's ran over eight thousand meters well if that guy had stood at the center circle and just run around with this like a chicken with its head cut off he would have amassed more meters and had absolutely zero impact on the game. So again, that stat is utterly meaningless. Or another one that they tried to do was when Morgan Schneiderlin was sold from Southampton to Manchester United. They said, oh, he's, you know, I read a report, I think it was in the Daily Telegraph, that said he's the, he's the hardest working midfielder in the Premier League because he attempted the most tackles. <laughs> well, it didn't say if he completed the most tackles. And here's the fact of the matter. 
one of the, probably the best five defensive players in soccer history is a guy called Paolo Maldini, who anchored the defense for the great AC Milan teams who were just untouchable in the 90s and was captain of Italy for, oh, I don't know, like 18 years or something stupid. And so Paolo Maldini one time was asked, why have your tackles per game decreased? And I think he was averaging less than two tackles. It was either 1.4 or 1.8 tackles at the end of his career. And he said something as simple as, if I'm in the right position, why would I need to leave my feet to make a tackle? Like, oh, man. And when Fergus and I came across that quote for Game Changer, and, and it ties into Unplugged as well. We're saying the same thing. Quantitative analysis, collection of numbers, is utterly meaningless without context. And you as a coach are the one that provides the context. No combination of wearables, hearables, anything of balls, any devices can provide context. And so this is the message you need to give to your athlete. It's like, look, I may have you collect HRV. We may do some heart rate band training for your endurance work. We may look at, um, you know, one rep maxes, three rep maxes, five rep maxes in the squat or the deadlift. But it's utterly meaningless without context. And also context, what are you trying to achieve? What is the outcome? And then to work backwards from game day, as Fergus would say, um, so say you, I want to set a new PR in the 5K or even in something like Murph, okay? All right, well, if you want to use some numbers in this, what are, what are what is a number or a couple of numbers that if you move that a little bit in the right direction, it would enable you to do Murph faster, mm -hmm. Okay, and why, right? And, yeah. and most people can't even answer that question, let alone the why part. You need a coach to answer that. And then from there, what programming do I need to put into place to move that number in that direction? And so really, it's this logical progression, but doing it the other way, because we've always worked forward toward competition, right? Oh, I've got to get ready for the Open. I've got to get ready for regionals. Well, of course you do. You need that readiness and preparedness. But really, you need to work backwards from the outcome that you want, and then start to figure out how do numbers play into it to cue, to calibrate, and to inform within the wider context of that athlete's nutrition, their hydration, the, the lifestyle pressures they may be feeling at work or in their relationships, and all these other factors. Um, and it's just one tool in the toolbox of an experienced coach. It is not the coach, despite the fact they might want to make it the hearable, the coach in your ear, the coach on your wrist with a fitness tracker. I'm going to give you an interesting anecdote uh, through actually a conversation I had with the last week with uh, Juliet Starrett. Um, we were both at the same conference together, and I noticed, so we, we both have the, I'm going to show it to you now, our listeners can't see it, but Juliet and I both have the same Garmin watch, and we were commenting on it, and we were commenting on uh, the step counter and how that's, you know, we get really obsessive about that metric and and we were both actually saying that you know my wife and I will have this little competition you know like you get home at the end of the day and you're like hey, how many steps you get and you're like oh I got 12,000 no I got 13,500 and and I was telling her that you know and she's like yeah I kind of have that same competition going on too and I was saying how I was I was coming home and for a couple weeks I was doing like 15, 16,000 steps, and I was just blowing her out of the water. And I was proud of it. You know, I'm walking in, just proud of my steps. And 
And finally, one day after like two weeks of doing this, my wife stops me. She goes, "Wait, all right, hold on a second now. What? Um, I remember you telling me that you were going to set up your music studio again." And I was like, "Yeah, yep. I set up my music studio at the gym. You know, in the back, we're good to go. I like, I'm loving it." She goes, "You've been playing the drums," and I was like. Yeah, every day I've been playing the drums 20 minutes a day. Yeah, I'm back in there playing a lot. She goes, that's not 15,000 steps, you idiot. That's playing the drums. <laughs> <laughs> and so she just ruined me. You know what I mean? Like ruined me. But I think, I mean, that's a, a little anecdote to show that, you know, you may have these athletes coming into your gym stoked on these metrics that, again, without context, you, you have no idea what that actually means for their goals, Right. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, Juliet and Kelly haven't got to know them over the years and just really appreciate their approach. I mean, if you look at their stand up kids website, if your kids are in school and your kids are sitting all day, we're starting to see kids with hip dysfunction and, and spine problems at age eight or nine. And these do not exist in the developing world where people squat to toilet, you know, to not be too candid, but it's true and squat to eat around a fire and this kind of thing and squat a lot during the day and move all day and never sit. But, um, you know, we, you start to cram your kids in and literally it's as easy as, you know, we, my wife and I bought some, some of those like furniture risers, you know, that you might put on, on the, uh, feet of your bed to lift it up if you want to raise it on the kids desk. And they were like 20 bucks per desk. And we just did a few of those and, Kelly and Juliet's kids are in a school now that's the first non-sitting school. There's no sitting option. And so if we stop, really what the 10,000 steps is doing is trying to, to recreate the basal metabolic rate of our forefathers. Um, my friend Jonathan Stalls runs, uh, runs this organization in, in Denver. And, and Jonathan's pretty hardcore. He walked his way across America with his dog, as one does, right? And um but really what they try to do is get community walks going. And one of the great stats that he gave me is that the average person on planet Earth walks seven miles a day. Wow. How many people do you know that walk seven miles a day? Nobody, right? And so partly it's city design, so it can be environmental, like I mentioned when we were back in KC or if you're in an urban environment. But that being said, if you are, there is research to show that Walking through partly green space, like along a canal or through a, through a city park, that the impact um, on your brain and your, your physiological markers, you know, inflammation, stress, perceived stress, this kind of thing, dramatically improves when you add a little nature into that. So really, none of us have an excuse that you'll be able to find some green space somewhere or maybe even just drive to it, you know, if you have to, to, to get started on, to hike or cycle or paddle or whatever you need to do. And so really... That would be my my advice with regard to this basic daily activity. Don't sit unless you have to, as Kelly would say, eliminate optional sitting. Okay. And if you are going to stand like me, I have his little fit. And this is not to push his product because it's not like I'm on bloody commission for this thing. But I have his little fidget bar from MWOD and Rogue Fitness. You know, so I'm swinging. If you see me moving back and forth, I'm swinging my, my foot on this thing. Or I have a one of those squishy Jill Miller um, yoga tune-up balls under my foot to just get a little micro movement in, or I might go even do a set of push-ups or air squats or something after we're, we're done with the call to get the blood flowing. But the point being, try to build just more movement into your day and don't 
don't necessarily let the number of steps wig you out. Because as you said, if, if you sit there and twist your wrist drumming, or I've seen people, it's, the cashiers at the grocery store one time were joking about it if they just sit there and twiddle their wrist, you know, it would um, get them closer to that daily total. But um, yeah, really to create that that um, that BMR, just that basic movement, um, right at the day and level of activity, just move more, stand more, sit sit less, change position more. And that's the way to do it. You don't need because the 10,000 steps is arbitrary. And there's been a few studies to show that, you, you know, some one came out of England fairly recently that said it was more like 15, 16,000 steps was needed. But we know if you go if you were an active couch potato. So if you you go to your box and you're fired up and you work out for an hour and you do your 10 minutes of mobility and you do your cool down. But the rest of the day you're sitting either at your office or on the couch when you get home that you undo a lot of the benefits of, of that hard wad that you just crushed. And so we've got to, as Fergus says in Game Changer, we've got to look at the other 22, 23 hours in the day. And um, so, yeah, those are very basic principles. Don't, you know, avoid optional sitting, change position more, move more. Um, and really, you don't need a device to tell you to do that. Um, it can help. Um, as kind of little there are apps um, to, to tell you to get up and move, you know, that kind of thing. So it can technology can be helpful in this, but you don't necessarily need it. At least what, once you've made that a pattern and a new habit of this is what I do. I don't sit much. I move a lot. I walk when I can instead of driving and, and maybe park further away. If you have to stop at the ball to get some new kids clothes because school's starting next semester or whatever, you know, just just try to create more difficulty and uh more challenge and more movement make make things a bit harder on yourself not trying to park you know this horrendous thing of where we you know circle to try and find that good parking spot right outside the door of the store or the movie theater what the heck is that you know get up and walk i mean heaven forbid you have to walk like a hundred meters you know come on there when i first when i when i try to teach gym owners about marketing uh, or telling their story, let's call it that. The first exercise that we do is identifying strategic advantage. Like what do you offer that nobody else offers? And one of the things uh, I, I noticed two. okay, and I want to point these out because as I was reading through Game Changer, I noticed two things that that gym owners are uniquely positioned to do that technology is not. And the first of these is identifying the root common problems in your athletes. And the second one is identity and culture. The example here is, I think, just the, a great example of the All Blacks. This dominant team that is pulling from a, I don't even, I mean, a pool of fairly few athletes, right? It's not like, you know what I mean? The, their, their population that they're pulling from is 200 million people. It's a fairly small uh, selective pool, but what they have is this incredible identity, culture, and ritual that cannot be, really, you can't replicate that with a fancy screen with your heart rate variability up on it while you work out. And yet, this is a this is a a dynasty of a team, and I believe that it sort of is distilled down to this identity and culture, and and again, this idea of a root common problem of your athletes. Those things you cannot have without relationship. 
Uh, and and that is the essence of the coach. So, Phil, can you speak to those things and how, you know, maybe you see those as really effective edges that, that coaches can have and maybe help us frame ways that w- that gym owners listening to this can tell that story of relationship, of identity, of culture in a world that's telling people they need to spend their money on kind of more shit that doesn't provide, you know, reasonable mm-hmm. metrics. Yeah. I mean, if we're going to talk about relationships, let's start here. And I, I, I'm going to confess I had an F minus parenting day yesterday. And so I'm not that good of a parent, but I'm trying, right? I have two boys, eight and 10. And basically our thing is um, they're not in organized sports yet. I mean, I didn't start playing organized basketball or soccer until I was probably 14. And I just, maybe I'm disadvantaging them in some way, but I kind of subscribe to that. Chris Bell, uh, if you've seen Trophy Kids, the worst example of sports parenting ever. And he didn't go as far as as he wanted to if the producers had let him go further. But um, anyway, so yeah, Chris and even Mark Bell, you know, people know Mark Bell, the Powercast, is this big old dude. And they must assume that his kids have been lifting, you know, benching 350 since they were like two years old. One of his sons, I I, I don't know Mark. Um, I've interviewed Chris once, but just from what Chris was telling me, like Chris is his nephew's hero and he wants to be a film director. And my son has already, my 10 year old has decided I'm going to USC film school. And that is my path. I want to direct films. And you know, the kid Mark's kids are active enough as Chris says, but they are not being pushed into all these sports. They are not paying three grand a year per kid to be on a traveling soccer team. And so with your parenting, I mean, our thing is, look, when we go out to dinner, say we go to this local pizza place called Bojo's, which you probably know from your days in Colorado, good, good uh, mountain pizza, as they call it, a little honey on the crust, if that isn't too non-paleo for, for everybody. No, I'm kind of, kind of kidding. Um, but anyway, so when we go, we we actually have conversations. And so my wife's cousin came up. He lives in, in Westminster, which was down the hill. And um, we... We went out for pizza. And so we're just chatting, you know, and, and uh, Nicole's cousin Mickey is talking to the kids and Nicole and I catching up on our days. And um, we look over at this table and there is a mum and dad and this girl who is probably between my kids, I would guess she was maybe nine years old, like fourth grade age. And she not only has headphones in, but she's looking down at this iPad and both the parents are on their phone. And I just periodically, I didn't want to snoop too much, but I periodically looked over at him and there was not one word exchanged in the course of this meal. Okay. They're, they're just occasionally autonomously reach up, grab another slice of pizza. That's the only thing their mouth is doing is chewing this, this good pizza. It is good pizza. Not one word in the course of an hour. That is not parenting. Okay. And so just as you can parent your kids by giving them a TV in their room an Xbox, an unlocked smart. I asked my 10 year old, what percentage of kids in your class do you think have unlocked smartphones? And he was like, oh, I don't know, probably 80, 90%. He's 10. Okay. And I asked my eight year old the same question and he's kind of geeking out on percentages right now. And he was like, oh, I don't know, 50 or 60, maybe 65. And, um, my wife and I had a laugh about that because he, he was very serious about his answer. But, um, you know, silliness aside, just giving your kids all this technology and then abdicating your parenting by dropping them off and having this arms race, this keeping up with the Joneses that Chris Bell describes in his, his series on HBO trophy kids. Um, 
basically letting youth sports coaches parent your kids in the time when they're not glued to technology. That to me is parenting of a sort, but it's not the kind of parenting I want to do. And again, I'm not the world's best parent. Like I said, I gave myself at best an F minus or maybe an ungraded. That was the dreaded thing in England. Or you get, it's not just an F, but it's an ungraded or an ungradable, you know, or an incomplete. Um, but yeah, again, silliness aside, you can have a, a, a situation with athletes where your goal is revenue and you know you need to get X number of people to join and you need to only have an attrition rate of, say, 10 or 15% and you need to keep this number of members for this long to turn a profit, okay? And you can even have this relationship with your coaches where you pay them the bare minimum because, again, your, your model is an efficiency model. It's a cost center model and your, your true motivation is just to make money from your gym. And, and this will show in how you, you treat your, your clients and your athletes. Or you can do what Kelly and Juliet do, which is pay their coaches a living wage in San Francisco, by the way. And Kenny Kane is the same across L.A. It's enough for people to live in Southern California. Parentheses, it's really expensive to live there. And you can see in the way that they and their, their fellow coaches interact with their athletes, they care about these people. Like I, I've overheard some pretty profound conversations at these gyms and they care about what's going on in their lives. And they recognize that for most of these guys, they're not rich froning. They're not Annie. OK, they're not like liable to podium at next year's CrossFit Games or some of them, you know, a lot of them won't even make it to regionals. And that isn't their goal. Their goal is to be able to play with their kids or play with their grandkids or break out of this sedentary lifestyle they've had their entire life. And it's a small part of what they do, but they care about their jobs. They care about what's going on with your kids, you know, and they celebrate things. You know, at, Ke at Kelly's gym at San Francisco CrossFit, I overheard one of the coaches talking to, um, to this lady who is a mom. And, uh, you know, she, she said, oh, yeah, you know, how, how's, you know, whatever the kids name do. Oh, she's good. You know, I finally got her in swimming. You know, I'm kind of embarrassed because she's 12 and she doesn't know how to swim. And she was like, yeah, but, you know, you're doing a great job. You know, you saw a problem that she couldn't swim. And so you put her in lessons. And now now she can swim. You know, she could save her own life if she fell in the lake or in the ocean or in the pool. And, you know, you, I think you're doing a great job as a parent. Don't be so down on yourself. And just overhearing that little nugget, that is is a key part of what you're talking about. I think that is true relationship is it is not about how much how many members you can get in or retain. It is not about, you know, how many athletes you can have qualify for regionals. Um, it's not about how much you can increase Dave's PR max or Jenny's squat max from when they first came in. So you can brag to coaches at other gym about what, what an awesome teacher you are, man, it's relationships. And, and, and the, the CrossFit gyms that survive and endure like Kelly's and like Kenny Kane's, um, are those where there is great teaching, where there are compassionate relationships and where the coaches are fully invested in, in the lives of um, those around him. And even a Kansas City example, my mate Brian Stites, I don't know if you know Brian, yeah. he, run, he runs CrossFit on track. So I have a buddy in the UK, Tom Foxley, who um, I need to connect you, you with too. And um, he does the Alpha uh, Movement podcast and is a mindset coach. And he's looking to come over to the US. He's done some stuff like this in the UK and Europe where he's touring CrossFit gyms and he's really doing some next level stuff with mindset. 
and the psychological aspect of coaching. And so he said, mate, would you mind introducing me to a few of the CrossFit um, box owners that you know in the US? So I sure did. Brian Stites at CrossFit on track. I haven't talked to Brian for probably three or four months. We used to train together at Mid-America's gym a bit. Um, they have the best small school uh, weightlifting program ever. Coach Whitney Rodden up there and before Tom Cross just do an amazing job as coaches on the Olympic side. So anyway, so Brian has never heard of Tom. He doesn't know Tom. So I hit him. I, I just did a Facebook chat with both of them. So this is an example of how tech was good as well. And just like, hey, Brian, you know, give him some context. This is my mate, Tom. You may know him from the Alpha Movement podcast. You know, he's also a great mindset coach. He's looking to come over, you know, the US next year. And so Brian replies and not just replies, but basically said, hey, Tom, if you need a place to stay when you're in Kansas City, I've got you covered. Like it wasn't just come to my gym and do this this seminar, but you know, basically stay with me or with one of my other coaches for as long as you need while you're here. And hey, if, if there's anywhere else you want to go around the country, let me know it. And, and you know, I'll reach out to some coaches I know there. And I know Brian and I know that he's a phenomenal human being anyway, but this just confirmed it. And this to me is the CrossFit community is very similar to the to the paddling community. Where if I call someone like Dave Kalama, who is Laird Hamilton's towing partner, and sure, I built a relationship working with the magazines I do with Sup the Mag and the Inertia over 10 years. But if I call Dave and leave him a voicemail, he will call me back the second he turns his phone back on. And this is like one of the greatest water athletes ever. Kai Lenny, again, like this, this kid is pro level in five water sports. Okay, he's won like eight world championships. And him or his dad would call me back again right away. And, you know, this guy is sponsored by Red Bull. He's sponsored by Tag Her. He's sponsored by GoPro. He doesn't need to be talking to me. But th these families and these these groups of people within the paddling community, it's the same as what I see with Brian and yourself and Kenny Kane and Kelly and Juliet in CrossFit. It, like community is really where it's at. And, um, and it's authentic and it's real. And these people will just give and give and give. And literally, if you most of the CrossFit coaches I know, if you ask them for the proverbial shirt off their back, they would give it to you and then give you their jacket also. And that that is the heart that you should have as a coach is relationship based, community based and just giving everything you have and then a little bit more. Man, if you do that, your business is not going to. You know, it may take a little longer to build because, you know, you're not just doing it as a revenue model, but you will not only survive in the long term, but you will thrive. That that I think there is a is a compelling story, Phil. I, like, like that's a story we need to be telling uh, as as gym owners, because it's, uh, in my opinion, our unique advantage. Phil, I want to wrap up with this. I want to circle back around to Unplugged briefly and this is fresh on my mind because I was recently I was at this conference in Philly last week and we're talking about competition in the marketplace. Like this is the this is the discussion and amongst the you know, I think they're calling us like micro gyms now, you know, gyms with less than five hundred members is kind of the the category that, that we're in. Especially amongst the functional fitness space, there seems to be this fear of like an so I'll just, you know I'll say it uh, orange theory okay moves in across the street. I think that is probably the biggest fear of the CrossFit affiliate right now, and 
Whereas I kind of see this as an opportunity to educate the marketplace and show differentiation. Now, uh, basically, I, listeners that, that don't know, uh, Orange Theory probably looks like your average CrossFit class. In fact, the, uh, the Overheard Press, the CrossFit satirical website, just recently kind of bashed them for Halloween. And, but it is – so it is kind of this you know functional fitness class, for lack of a better term – with a massive screen, and everybody wears the chest strap, heart rate monitors, <laughs> and there is a massive screen uh, at the front at the front of the room, and people are trying to get into this target heart rate zone, the the fat burning zone, whatever that means, and then they're given a, uh, and then they can download an app, and they can see, oh, you, you know, Phil, you burned eight hundred and nineteen calories during this training session, and people are going bonkers over this thing. And it's it's super popular, and they charge a really high premium. They are probably charging higher rates than most CrossFit affiliates right now. Um, I see this as a unique opportunity to educate the marketplace on, you know, be be even handed. Here are the things that we like about this. It's getting people to work out, but what are the limitations here? So, Phil, how would you put yourself in, in the shoes? You know, you you own a, a gym, and across the street, you know, opens up this sexy tech based you know it you know it feels like the the basement of google's gym right how how do we begin to speak to this and educate people on the the, the limitations or or what these numbers actually mean if anything right I mean, again, it comes down to context. You know, if you're going to talk to your average member who's a mom or dad with two kids, maybe, you know, or someone just out of college, a former college athlete, something like that. I mean, obviously, there's lots of, you know, you could probably create 10 or 12 typical CrossFit member profiles. Um, but I, I would say, what, what are you trying to achieve? What are your fitness goals? And do, are you here to learn anything? about yourself or from you know and or from other people who know more than you you know are you are you willing to submit to the discipline of that and are you willing to pursue mastery because to me what you're talking about is it's a hack it is a fitness hack okay and some of the things in the hacking movement you know are fine but what they're missing is that here here's an example so my my friend good friend mr gray cook who did the intro section for, for my book with Kelly, uh, Starrett Waterman 2.0, is one of the biggest relationship guys as well. We could get into that more later. And um, Gray said, look, if I'm if I'm going to be driving somewhere new, you know, say someone asked me to come in and do uh, a day of consulting, and I'm, unlo- uh, I'm unlikely to go back there. It's just kind of a one-off thing. You know, they just got, got hold of me through my website or because they knew someone who knows me. Well, I'll use the GPS, you know, in my car or on my phone. But if it's something where, say, he's trying to help a he's a physiotherapist by trade, say he's trying to help a a, a friend get a new physio clinic off the ground. And he said, you know, once a week, I'll come by the next few months and, you know, we can have a chat and I can look at your setup and help you, you know, get the right equipment and do do whatever. Just for an example. And I'm going to be going there multiple times. He forces himself to memorize the route and to get there with no GPS, even if the first few times it means he's circling the airport for a while. Do it also. And he said that to me is that was his analogy of mastery versus the biohacker shortcut. Okay, and so really it it, and it comes down to. If your only goal is to feel trashed after a workout, 
almost any coach can do that. And a good coach would be able to do it with body weight or some light dumbbells or a light kettlebell. Okay. And, and if your only goal is to leave a giant pool of sweat, okay, well, that's okay. But we've got to get beyond that, you know, because that's all that these gyms are offering. And really in stealing fire, uh, Stephen Kotler and Jamie, we'll get into this, like the, um, the mega church thing where, you know, and this is not bashing Christianity because that that's my, you know, uh, I believe that what Bible says is true. My wife and I go to a church, but that aside, personal beliefs aside, that the mega church thing where there's crazy loud music, you know, the kind of thing my, if my mom or dad walked into, they would immediately get up and walk out because it's too loud. It's flashing like or a con, an arena concert. You know, you go and um, one time we saw Mumford and Sons in Kansas City and the, the support band was fine. And we've seen the Mumford boys a few times and in the past it was a it was a lot you know just a nice loud concert but you could walk out hearing we my wife and i came out half deaf for like three days and so they create this experience and and it's almost done deliberately in the environment to do something to your brain whether or not the and these owners they they know this at the corporate level okay and so it their their thing is we're going to make you sweat we're going to sweat today people come on let's sweat let's feel you know trashed at the end and everyone's like you know if it's a, a spinning studio like hat that you're just hanging like over there kelly T kelly starrett has a good story you should just google like kelly starrett cycling studio where you went to one of these and was just destroyed and he's an elite elite athlete in his own right but we've got to get beyond just i want to feel trashed to punish myself for whatever reason or i want to feel sweaty at the end of a session like we're as a coach, what you're trying to do is equip people with a set of skills that will not just improve their performance or recovery, but give them better quality of life. And you have an understanding of mobility. You have a, an understanding of sleep, of hydration, of nutrition. You have interacted with enough people where whether you recognize it or not, you are becoming an expert in relationships. And um, you, you, you become almost like a de facto counselor, you know, you'll find to some of your your clients or your athletes. And so you, you don't just perform the role of showing people how to do a squat correctly. Like this is not your function in life. And so just creating the distinction, I mean, literally drawing it out on a whiteboard, like over here is this bloody thing. And it's, it's super loud, like a mega church. It's, you know, really like a rah-rah, you know, drill sergeant type instructor. And their goals are, one, to make you feel trash, two, to sweat a lot, three, to burn a lot of calories. My goals for you as an athlete are, one, to equip you with the skills to live a better life, two, to provide a, a model of sustainable, repeatable, durable fitness where you are not going to break down or realize that you hate doing this after a while and quit. And three, to provide an environment where you're in authentic community with, with other coaches and with other athletes who care about each other. Mm. And one of these things does not like the, uh, look like the other because that second list you wrote is a lot better than that one, two, three of one, you know, t total calories, two, feel trashed afterwards, and three, leave a big pool of sweat everywhere and you need to go and burn your clothes in a backyard incinerator because they're no longer usable. I mean, that's that's almost what I would do is just have a giant whiteboard at the front of the gym of like us and then the other guys. Yes. Literally, because it's not the same thing. Mm -hmm.
And and that's it. Ah, I love that. That's such a great story to tell, Phil. Uh, I love your example of the GPS, right? So we, we have people, due to our location, you know Kansas City well, we are right in the middle of these convention centers. And so we have somewhere between 1,000 and 1,500 people come in and train with us, just randomly traveling through town for work. And we found that they come to us, and the first thing that they do after they work out is they'll pull up Yelp or they'll pull up like their Google Maps and they'll want to go grab something to eat, right? And the first thing that we do is right, put that away, right? Okay, what you need to do is you need to go to Jack Stack, order these three things, and you need to get it in the to-go line, grab it to go, walk around the corner, sit at the bar, and eat it there. And that you can't find that in Yelp, right? So that person would, yes, they'd pull up their, you know, they'd pull up their Yelp app and they'd see, oh, Jack Sack has got five stars, right? They'd go there for lunch and they would just sit there and wait for a table for two and a half hours. They'd look at this crazy menu, not know what to order. And so as a coach, it's, you know, that's a great way to think about that is, cool, like this technology, like that is Yelp. It'll tell you how many stars there are. You'll read these reviews. You'll see if it's just basically good or bad food. Now, your coach, that local person that is in that city will tell you exactly what time to go to a restaurant, how to order, where to walk in, where to sit, and like what time of day, all of these types of things. That's really what it means to coach somebody past a few months, right? And if you're going to have this relationship for 10, 20 years, again, you're giving these examples of, of Kenny at CrossFit, L, CrossFit LA. You've got Kelly and Juliet. Like These guys have been around since the beginning, and the common theme is these relationships. It's the coaching. It's the sustainability. Not, it's not terribly sexy, right? Right, but it but it is genuine, and it is what lasts. And, and again, for, for these folks – you know, they may give themselves or, for example, you know, Kelly, when he was training for Molokai, Brian McKenzie did his endurance programming for the. And if you don't know what that is, the Molokai do a Wahoo paddling race. You can do it on a stand up board at a certain time of year, other times, uh, you know, a surf ski or canoe and kayak. And so Kelly set himself his challenge of doing it. And Brian, Brian set him on this path to do it. And um so, you know, in the course of this, sure, numbers wise, if he, he had Kelly on the rowing machine one day, he's going to want to know it, his splits. If it's, you know, the old 10 times one minute or, you know, five to, eight times 500 meters with three and a half minutes rest, you know, all the old classic rowing workouts, whatever it might be. Yeah, sure. He wants a picture of the monitor to see the splits or whatever else. So even a coach as advanced as Brian McKenzie is going to want numbers. But here's the difference. Brian McKenzie ran CrossFit endurance for how many years? A decade. And before this, he was training people. And now, you know, with power speed endurance and the art of breath, he is still training people. And technology is a tool in his toolbox mm -hmm. to be applied with the benefit of experience and through the lens of context. Because, or even Andy Galpin, our other co-author, uses a great question um answered to a lot of questions that he gets asked on podcasts and i and i could have answered a lot of uh ours today with this it depends mm -hmm. all right so it, you know if you if you ask andy so andy if you know what's the deal with this you know this this window after you work out you know 20 grams of protein within 20 minutes 
30 grams of protein within 30 minutes. What, what do you tell athletes? Well, you know what, Matt? It, it depends. It depends what, what your goal is. Are you looking for hyper, hypertrophy? Are you looking to gain muscle mass? Um, are you looking to lose weight? Are you looking to, you know, and the same could be done with, say, you know, thermal therapy with, with the fire and ice, you know, the sauna and the ice bath or whatever variation you use thereof. Well, it depends. Are you looking, Fergus talks about this a lot in Game Changer. Are you looking to amplify the training effect um, or are you looking to, say, blunt adaptation? So an example there would be, you know, if, if a player, um you know, late, late in the game is, you know, is swelling up at the site of an old injury and they need to go back out and play the fourth quarter. Well, if you were going to just leave adaptation to do what it wants or amplify it, you would leave that ankle alone and it would swell up and the inflammation would tell the body, well, we got, we got a problem here. We need to flush this. And maybe later you would get your Mark Pro out or you, you would sleep in compression socks. And I have a dodgy right ankle that, that Kelly and uh, Travis Dewitt, who's another guy you should talk to, he's one of his lead instructors for MWOD um, up in Iowa, is helping me rehab. And so this is pretty pertinent to me. But because this, this NBA player is the star, you know, it's Russell Westbrook, it's Steph Curry, whoever, they need to go back out for the fourth quarter. And if they have... The, an ankle the size of one of my kids' soccer balls, that's not going to work. So you ice the living crap out of it in the locker room. You know, you see the guy hop into the locker room. You don't know what's going on inside, and he comes back out. Well, what's going on is they are doing things that are blunting the natural adaptation. But other times, you want to leave it alone and let adaptation, as my friend in Oklahoma says, do what it do, you know? <laughs> or, or you're trying to amplify the adaptation in some way. And, and that that's, you know, how quickly you get your protein in after working out. That's when you use um, heat and ice. That's all of this stuff. It comes back down to context and Andy's question of it depends. And really what he's saying is what is your outcome? And then what are the steps needed? Because I think we get caught in this trap of always trying to optimize you know, like, holy crap, I've got to get eight to nine hours of sleep a night. Well, great. Well, awesome if you can. But there are going to be times as a parent, you know, yeah. my eight year old did not sleep through the night until he was nine months old. So my wife and I, particularly my wife, never got eight to nine hours of recovery, even though I was training pretty hard. We were both pretty active during that time. Um, that is not a time to optimize. That is a time to survive, okay, when you have a newborn in the house. And particularly, like, if it's a newborn and, oh, you also have a two-and-a-half-year-old, which we had at the time in Johnny. And so it, we were always looking to optimize, optimize, optimize everything. Whereas in Unplugged, Andy says, well, wouldn't it be interesting if you just occasionally fasted? Because guess what? There are, things, there are mechanisms in your body, like autophagy, which is the clearing out of dead cells and the using partly decomposing cell matter to create, start creating um, neurogenesis, new cell generation, that start to go dormant if you are constantly in a fed state. And so you start to get into some of the things we're talking about with Dr. Frank Merritt in uh, product placement <laughs> in my new book, The 17-Hour Fast, which is um, up for pre-order, comes out in March. But there are some real benefits to being in a fasted state. There are some cold shock and heat shock proteins. Um, look at Rhonda Patrick. Um, the website is foundmyfitness.com and her, her research on this. These proteins start to lie dormant if you do not expose yourself to temperature extremes. But if you do, 
there are these studies coming out of Finland that show you reduce your um, chance of all-cause mortality by quite a lot. You reduce the chance of getting Alzheimer's and other cognitive um, issues if you're in, even if you, I mean, the study is on sauna, but if you took a hot bath followed by a cold shower, um, you would get probably 60, 70% of the benefits. But again, these mechanisms are turned off because we're in air-conditioned environments and we rarely expose ourselves to hot and cold. So there are certain things in the body that you you need to reactivate with extremes of temperature, with through fasting periodically, even if, say, with a 17-hour fast, you just ate dinner from 6 to 7 p.m. one night and didn't eat until noon the next day. That 17-hour window, um, Dr. Frank Merritt has done some original research on that. That's going to give you what you need, even if you just do that once a week, to turn these that clearing out dead cell process autophagy back on um, to give yourself a little bit better of a flex fuel between glucose and ketones and really make you a bit more resilient. But again, all these things come down to context. You're probably not going to want to do that the first time if you qualified for the CrossFit Open and that starts Oh, sorry for regionals, and that competition starts tomorrow. You're probably not going to want to do that fast for for the for the first time, you know, or at all maybe. Um, you know, you're not going to want to deliberately have a, a a crappier sleep to just see if you can be resilient and see if you can function on that occasionally. Um, and so again, it, it depends because for one person that may not be the right context for you at that time. It might be the right context. So just try to think about outcomes. What are you trying to achieve? What does game day look like for you? And then work backwards from the game to determine, um, you know, whether you amplify or you blunt adaptation mechanisms resulting from training stimuli, whether you um, use technology to, to, to measure HRV in this context or you don't, whether you um, are doing a certain kind of programming for an athlete or because this one's life situation is completely different, you back off the intensity because you know they're getting crushed at work with deadlines, their, their marriage is in the toilet, and if you train them at the normal intensity that you would because they're a mid-level competitor, it's going to be too much and it's going to overload them and it, they're just going to crash. They're going to end up with stage three adrenal fatigue. And, and again, that comes back to coaching knowledge, to expertise, to knowing what context really means and... Um, and that also shows that you, you actually give a crap about the people you train, heaven forbid. And Phil, I think that is a great place to to wrap things up. Uh, for the affiliate owners out there, for the gym owners, for the coaches, for everybody listening to this, to, it, I think I find it just increasingly important for us to understand what it is that we provide, right? Teaching somebody – Phil, I think you said this earlier – Teaching somebody how to squat is just a sliver of what we do. It's not the core of what we do. Like The core of what we do is we develop relationships with athletes and provide context to what they're doing. Um, you know, you mentioned how, what do things look like with the kids. Again, where, where can your athletes go and know, hey, you know, Phil's, you know, Phil's kid did not sleep until nine months I need to adjust his training accordingly. You you can't you can't get that from a heart rate monitor. You can't get that from any wearable technology or the steps that he's doing or if Phil is in the fat burning zone during his workout. Like these things just don't I mean there's no context around those and when we think about prioritizing how we're coaching people, 
probably feel like your sleep and your kids are probably going to have a lot larger bearing on your training output and adaptation than the number of steps that you have. Um, And so for the gym owners, for the coaches listening to this, that right there is kind of the core of this messaging. Understand what you can provide that nobody else can provide and then just relentlessly tell that story. Everybody in your town needs to know that that is is what you do. So, um, Phil, this was an awesome discussion. I I could have done this for like six more hours. Uh, <laughs> you've got a walk you've got to get to, though. I I assume you've got to go around the lake to the coffee shop. Um, but Phil, where can people find you? Yeah, I mean, first I would say check out the the people that we mentioned here um mobility ward for for kelly storrett um power speed endurance brian mckenzie i think it's just andygalpin.com for um for dr andy galpin uh fergus conley i believe his is the game is changing.net because the cool kids are on net you know these days right you know that being in a tech town in casey um so yeah just check out some of the stuff they're doing and particularly um check out Brian McKenzie's Art of Breath and use the free calculator on there. Literally, just to do an exhale retention test, it gives you the directions on there. It's free. It'll spit out two different kinds of breathing protocols. Try using those five minutes a day, first thing in the morning, last thing at night, see what happens. And again, really, the work these guys are doing is far more important than anything I might have to say. But if you must subject yourself to the horrors of my random thoughts, um, it's most of the social sites backslash Phil White Books. And then um, there's a contact form on my website, which is philwhitebooks.com. Any questions, comments, uh, you disagree with me on something, whatever it might be, I love having conversations. So reach out, let's have a chat. I dig it. Uh, I would recommend for the the gym owners out there, pick up Unplugged. Uh, I think that it's a deep look into, it's a deep look into evidence but it is translated in a way that you will understand. And I think as a tool, you know, we talk to people all the time, like, hey, you've got to create content. You've got to write blog posts. You've got to make face. You've got to become the trusted expert in, in your market. And if you find yourself struggling to create content and speak to things that are relevant, read this book. This will, uh, for me, this collect, uh, connected a lot of dots. And uh, so I think this would be a great way for you to begin to develop your understanding and context around things that are really popular right now and what you do. It's a great source of content for you to begin to generate. Additionally, I would say for your coaches, if you've got an internship program or anything like that, uh, uh, Game Changer is, is we're going to pick out a few of the chapters in here especially uh, the discussion around the psychology, uh, the, the sort of tribe psychology is uh, a must-read for all of your coaches and, and staff, I feel like, because that is crucial to what we do and almost uh, a mandatory aspect of behavior change in my mind, which is basically what coaches are really good at doing. So uh, listeners, check those things out. Uh, we'll, we'll put a bunch of all the pertinent links. I've got uh, a lot of notes here, Phil. And so we'll try to get all of the, the articles and everything that we talked about. I'll be sure to get them linked in our show notes. And uh, But anyway, Phil White, thank you so much uh, for the time today. Man, this was a 
awesome conversation. And w- when you're in Kansas City next, uh, please please hit me up. And uh, barbecue is on me. That's great. Well, the roastery coffee or the boulevard beer will be on me then in that All case. Right. So right back at you. All right. <laughs> thank, thank you so much for having me on today. I really appreciate your time. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for tuning in and for your continued support of 321 Go Podcast. If you would like to support the people that support this show, head over to the show notes now and click on the appropriate links. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while and you know that it's time that you need to take some action on changing your business, I would strongly encourage you to check out our hub platform, 321goproject.com slash hub. It is only $69 a month. And inside the hub is everything you need to run a business from business templates to marketing courses and everything in between. All that information is there in the hub. If you are a member of the hub and you want a little bit more additional accountability, check out one of our M3 groups. That's a Momentum Mastermind group. It is you and four or five other like-minded gym owners uh, just ready to crush it and keep each other accountable. Uh, 321goproject.com slash M3. Additionally, if you have not yet, please subscribe to this show and leave us a review on iTunes. That is how people find us, and that's how we continue to grow and bring on more guests. Again, thank you so much for tuning in, and we'll see you next week.